Listen, you don't want to miss today's show because uh, not only do we have the SBF and Caroline sex tape, which we're going to play here on YouTube. We're also going to talk to you about the Curve Wars. We've got a guest who's calling for the biggest correction in history. He says we're in the middle of the biggest correction, the biggest market crash in history. We also got an FTX update. We've got a massive uh, DCG update and Genesis update. Uh, tomorrow, we've got an insider coming on the show. Um, it's going to be huge. There's, I mean, there's just so much to do today. Uh, what have I missed? What have I missed? What have I missed? Okay, well, you'll see what I've missed when we actually start the show. So let's do this. Get the fuck out of bed, bitch. Go. Get up, get up, and then they got go. Gotta wake up, bitch, get up. Get up, get up. Get up. I'm not joking. We are actually going to play the sex tape. In fact, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Fred. Fred. Who's Fred? Okay, Fred, play the sex tape. Now, okay, now, we, got the, now we have the sex tape out of the way. We can start the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you gotta have fun guys you gotta have fun you gotta have fun let me just switch off my emails yeah all right welcome 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 guys remember if you're new to the channel we're not always like this we're not always like this sometimes we have serious shows sometimes we just laugh uh, we get the mickey we we, we 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 have fun we gotta have some fun in a market like this um big show today uh some good news of course uh ftx update we're going to talk about the curve attack because i don't know if you guys saw but i mean I don't know if you paid attention, but if you were paying attention today, and I was paying attention, let me let me just say this: I was paying attention. Um, you would have seen that Curve got attacked by the hacker, the same guy that hacked Mango Markets. His name is Avram uh, Eisen, Eisenberg, I think his name is, and he shorted Curve from fifty-four cents all the way down to forty cents, and then he got up to here back to sixty-four cents. I'm going to show you how that happened. Because if that happened, if you know how that happened, then you can see where he's doing it again. And he is doing it again on another token. So we'll talk about that token over there. Um, we're going to talk about Digital Currency Group today. There's a lot going on at DCG, uh, potentially a solution. Um, and if that if a solution does happen, it's going to be a massive short squeeze. We're going to talk about Uniswap. We're going to talk about Chainalysis. Uh, no, Chainlink. We're going to talk about Cardano. We're going to talk about Phantom. We're going to talk about Andre Cronier. I mean, this is going to be the highest alpha show that you've ever seen. And then I've got a mystery guest for you guys. The guy that's saying that we are in the biggest, we are in the middle of the biggest market collapse that we've seen in our lifetime. So it's going to be big. Uh, it's all going to be credible. It's going to be fun. What you need to do, you need to subscribe to the channel. If you are a subscriber, you need to like the content and then just give us a, someone says, can we restart the trading competition? There is a trading competition. Join my team at the BitGet trading competition because it's like a soccer trading competition. We can win 100 Bitcoin. 
And yeah, I think it, I think it's going to be amazing. I'm going to do a trade after the show. I'm going to show you what the trade is as well. All righty, should we start the show? What do you say, Fred? What do you say? Should we start the show, Freddie? I think Fred's gone home. How does Fred still work here? I mean, that's crazy. That's crazy. You see, no, no, you see, people are saying no notification again on YouTube. You see, that's called being shadow banned. That's crazy. How many of you didn't get a notification? I'm, I'm so tired of YouTube shadow banning me. Jesus. Uh, I didn't. I'm so angry about this. I really am. So, so angry about this. Anyway, let's let, let's get to the, the alpha of the show because that's why you guys actually came here. Start the show. Let's go. Every, okay, let's go. So where are we? We're with Bitcoin. There was, earlier I said to you there was going to be a slight short squeeze when we were at about 15,500. I don't know if you guys were following my Twitter. Um, let me just find that. Um, there we go. So... Earlier on today, you got to follow my Twitter. That's where the alpha is. Um, earlier on today, about three hours ago, I said to you, look at the shorts versus long position on Bitcoin. The shorts were three times the long positions. And so I said to you guys, there's going to be a massive short squeeze today. I thought the short squeeze was going to be bigger, but not bad. I mean, if you look at the at where we were, uh, let's we could just fix that. We were, when I tweeted that, it was around 15,500. We're back now at 16,100. So we did get a little bit of a short squeeze. Now, when I look at the data, now the longs are in control, but not enough for there to be a, um, uh, uh, an imbalance. So no trade at this stage. Right now, market is pretty neutral. No trade at this stage. Next chart, which you're watching today, curve. I'm going to show you what happened here. I'm going to show you how you can make a lot of money. Uh, you see, no notifications. Ah. God, okay. We got to, I mean, I can't wait for Twitter. The one chart that no one's watching, is this chart over here. Now, I'm not a chartist, but I am better than most of the chartists that work here. Um, like I'm better than Carl and better than Sheldon, better than all the guys, those guys. Bombay, Bombay trillionaire. <laughs> so no one's watching this chart over here. No one's realizing that the to this is the total crypto market cap. What most people aren't seeing is that this total crypto market cap is actually on final support. Like this is like final, final, final support. Because if this breaks down, I mean, there's a little bit of a support level here, which is about, what's it, 30% down from there, 20% 20, 20 down. And then the next support level that means anything is about here, which is about 40% down. So this is a very, very, very critical level that we have to hold. We, you, we must all watch. Right now, the chart to watch is this chart because that's the one that no one's watching. Everyone's too busy with the Bitcoin chart. No one's watching this chart over here. The other chart that you should be watching, I think, is the Solana chart, because I suspect that very soon there's going to be a huge short squeeze, short squeeze here on Solana. Too many people are short, and I think there's going to be a short squeeze at some point. Someone said, Carl mentioned, did you mention total market cap this morning? Carl, you just got a promotion, bro. To what? To, I don't know, what, what, what's your role now? No, but wait, what, what is your role now? What is your role now? Well, like, what, what, what do you call yourself? Executive presenter. Okay, congratulations, Carl. You are now a senior executive presenter. It's true. <laughs> You're a senior executive presenter. Um, the one thing also that we should be worried that we should be looking at, because it does feel like we're in this capitulation area. Like, it just feels like everything's breaking. It feels like it's the end of crypto. You've got DCG falling. You've got FTX falling. You've got the lenders 
collapsing, rumors of DCG not being able to raise money. We're going to talk about that in a second. Um, all of those things are happening. And now, what do we need? What are we we're seeing? We're seeing a miner capitulation. So the miners are actually selling their Bitcoin. Usually, the miners don't sell their Bitcoin, but the miners are starting to sell their Bitcoin. The reason why they're starting to sell their Bitcoin is because to mine Bitcoin becomes is become much more difficult. And with the Bitcoin price down, they're not making as much money. And so they're starting to sell. So that's another little uh, capitulation thing. But remember, I said this to you before. As bad as it feels now, and it does feel bad, if you zoom out, what you realize is that this is just an, a deleveraging. All of these collapses are about leverage. Luna was about leverage. Three Arrows Capital was about leverage. Celsius was about leverage. FTX was about leverage. This is just all the players in the industry who were using leverage capitulating and falling apart. The one thing that you got to remember is that when 2017 collapsed, when 2017, 2018 happened, the collapse was because people stopped believing in the, in the technology. People said, look, this technology ain't going to work. No one's using Bitcoin. No one's using Ethereum. There was, no one was using Solana. No one was using any of this technology. There was no GMX. There was nothing. This time, this is just a collapse of leverage and centralized leverage players primarily. And so what you're seeing now is people that have been here for a long time, like Ryan Selker says, we're approaching peak FUD. I'm not saying that everything is sunshine and rainbows, but this tech is not going to be uninvented. The need for crypto that is safe and usable is more apparent than ever. The amount of talent and capital working on big ideas is at all-time highs. That's pretty much all you need to read to forget about the noise because everything else here is just noise. Everything else here is just noise. This noise on Solana that's happening on Solana, the fact that there's an overhang of tokens, great. I hear you. There is an overhang of tokens. Can't argue with you. There are a lot of tokens in the market. SBF has a lot of tokens. But take away the noise. Just, just for like one second, take away the noise. And look at the fundamentals. And I quickly want to find you a chart if I've got it. Um, I've got so many charts speak, uh, so many charts going here. Uh, okay, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Here we go. So you got the main net of Solana doing 7,200 transactions per second, and you got NFTs exploding on Solana. So don't mistake the price of the token for the efficacy of uh, of the of the um, of the of the chain itself. That's what you got to you got to remember. Right now, the best advice that I can give you is to stop looking at the prices. When I wake up in the morning, I don't actually look at my trading view or my portfolio at all at all at all. At all. Why? Because the prices are being over, the prices are overreacting to the deleveraging. And if you look at that, you may do stupid things. You may sell. You may believe that the chains aren't working. But if you look at the fundamentals, what you realize is that the, 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 the chains are actually working. I'll, sh I'll show you another example, right? You look at Phantom's price. Let's quickly look at Phantom's price. Yeah, here's, here's Phantom. You see, people aren't here because, we didn't, because the notifications aren't working. Very upsetting. Very, very, very upsetting. So let's look at Phantom's price. Excuse me for one second. Phantom's price seven. Uh, Phantom's price seventeen point three cents, seventeen point four cents. Let's look at the fundamentals behind Phantom. Does that look like the chain's going away? Does that look like like the? I mean, this is the growth in addresses. Look at the daily growth in addresses since October. Okay, now that correlates with another little little thing that is going on, another little thing that is going on, and that is that I saw this um, here. 
So we were invited to speak at a conference. And in that conference, Andre is a speaker. And Andre is speaking. His title is Phantom Foundation. Weird. And I also know that he's no longer working where he, he got a job when he left crypto. He got a job. And I know that he's no longer at that job. Sources have told me he's no longer at that job. Sources have told me that he, right now he's not doing much. Or is he? Is he maybe looking at crypto? So you see, that, that's what I'm saying to you. You got to be very, very, very careful of falling into the sentiment because the decisions that you make now, the moves that you make now, when everybody is panicking, when the leverage is, is falling apart, those decisions will determine what happens to you when the bull market comes back. Now, a lot of you guys are saying you've been bullish since 40,000. You've been telling us to buy the dip from 40,000. Yeah, truth is no one knew about the amount of leverage in the system. Not even the biggest companies in the world, not Chainalysis, not the smartest investors in the world. No one said, no one knew that FTX was going to go under or that Celsius was going to go under or that Voyager was going to go under and that would have this cascade. No one knew that was going to happen. Does that, change my, does that change my opinion of how the technology is going to disrupt the world? Not at all. Zero. Zero, zero, zero. In fact, great. Now is the time when heroes are born, as someone said, as someone said, said in the chain, in the, in the chat. Um, yeah, so what I'm saying is, the, the, forget about the noise, block out the noise. So in fact, when you hear the noise and you see token prices coming down, ask yourself, are these token prices coming down because the underlying technology is not going to work? Or are the token prices coming down because of leverage, noise, attacks, et cetera, et cetera? And if the answer is the latter, leverage, noise, and attacks, well, that's a great opportunity for you. That's an amazing, amazing opportunity. I'll, give you, I'll show you an example, right? Today, this morning, I woke up and I was watching Curve because I'm an investor in Curve. I have a lot of Curve tokens, okay? And I saw that Curve was coming down from 54 cents all the way down to 40 cents. So I did my homework. I did my homework. And I said, why is Curve actually coming down? The fundamentals are solid. Curve is an amazing exchange. From a technolo technological, technological point of view, it's one of the best exchanges. So I dig even further. What do I find? I find that the same guy that attacked Mango Markets, remember the Mango Markets hacker? The guy that hacked Mango Markets, but he didn't actually hack it. He just found a way to manipulate the prices in such a way that he could drain this thing very legally. And he said, look, I believe all of our actions were legal. Open market actions using the protocol as designed, even if a development team did not fully anticipate the consequences of setting up the parameters the way they are. And then remember that he passed a proposal to say, look, you'll return half the funds if they don't prosecute him or something along those lines. And that's what happened. I found out today that he was attacking Curve. But this guy is an absolute genius. What he was doing is he was borrowing Curve listeners. He borrows Curve from Aave and he leaves them collateral. And then he starts shorting curve on size. Like crazy. He shorts and he shorts and he shorts and he shorts and he shorts. And as he's shorting curve, the price of curve comes down and down and down. And there was speculation that he was trying to get the price of curve to 28 cents or 29 cents. And the reason why is because one of the founders of curve, um, this guy, Michael Egorov, has a $48 million, has $48 million of curve supplied on Aave with the liquidation price at 25.9. So there was speculation that what he was trying to do is he was trying to get to the point, he was trying to short so much to get the price to 
and then what was going to happen is the 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 leverage was going to be un, then then he would have unwound his short and so everyone starts to short curve curve goes down 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 at about 43 cents i realize what's going on and i think hold on this is going to be the buy of the century and then what happens people start short covering and more short covering and more short covering and eventually what happens is the price goes back up to 64 cents 64.2 cents i mean if you want a, a breakdown of, of what actually happened i'll quickly read it to you so um, hold on, there's a better breakdown. I think it's this breakdown over uh, here. Let me just find you a cool breakdown. Okay, so what happened? Whales go giga short curve on sexes, on centralized exchanges. Whales borrow curve on Aave, sell the coins on, 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 on the sexes. So they go to Aave, they put down dollar collateral, they take curve, they short curve. They take the curve, they short it on centralized exchanges. As the curve price goes down, Whales borrowed more curve to sell on Aave and they keep selling and selling and selling and selling. Once the price is pushed down to go as far as possible, the whales turn long and the short covering starts because now all these people that have shorted have got, to, have got to close. And what they did was they actually left their position on Aave open, completely open, so that the algorithm would auto-liquidate the shorts. And they said, look, we'll just destroy our position on Aave. We don't need the position on Aave. We've made so much money anyway. And so if you're paying attention today, if you were, if you had your, your 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 eyes focused and you were paying attention today, this is what the returns were. This is what the returns were. Forget about the short, because I think the short would have been too risky. But top to bottom, you could have made sixty percent in in one day in a, in the, in the midst of a bear market. It's all about paying attention. Got to pay attention. You got to pay attention. Anyway, let's carry on. Let's talk about other stuff. Uh, I see Alessio is in the chat, so I'm going to bring him on in a second. But before I bring him on, let's quickly just do our. Uh, FTX daily obligatory update. So it's a uh, every day for now we have to obligatory talk about SPF. Um, we have to because otherwise, I mean, who are you if you're not actually reporting SPF? So let's quickly look at the latest uh, on SPF. The first thing is they're talking about him actually coming to the Senate to testify in December. Now, December is like a week away, two weeks away. Question is what happens? Does he actually go there? I mean, does he actually go? If I were SBF, I wouldn't go anywhere near the United States because you know that, like, if you go to the United States, you're getting, you're getting, you got to be arrested. Same time, they've appointed a, a judge in the bankruptcy hearing, and today the hearings actually start, and you're getting executives from FTX going to testify. But I think that the executives that are going to testify are not the executives that used to run the company, but the executives that are now running the company with the liquidator. So I think it's going to be, um, I think that's what's, what's going to happen. Um, at the same time, we have news today that Sam Bankman Fried's parents parents bought 19 properties with over $121 million over the past two years, most of them in the Bahamas. So we know 1 billion of clients' funds are missing at FTX. 70 million was traced to, to political campaign donations that we know about. 300 million was cashed out by Sam himself. We know about that. And now 121 million was, uh, was traced to his parents' properties. Crazy, 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 crazy. Um, at the same time, you've got Senator Karin. Remember that Fidelity put Bitcoin on employees' 401ks, which is like their retirement funds. For those of you who don't live in the, in the, in the, um, your, uh, what's the name? So it says, Dear Miss Johnson, in light of our, re this is from a letter from Senator Karin, uh, Elizabeth Warren to Fidelity, the CEO of Fidelity. says, Dear Ms. Johnson, in light of the recent standing events in digital markets, we write to you today as a follow-up to our previous letter sent on July 26th, 
where they urged Fidelity not to add 401ks in 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 onto the onto the uh, not, not to add Bitcoin onto 401ks. As one of the largest providers in the world, Fidelity Investments is a global leader in financial services. More than 32 million Americans and 22,000 employees trust Fidelity Investments with their workplace retirement accounts and employee-sponsored plans. Yet in recent years, Fidelity Investments has opted to expand beyond traditional finance and delve into the highly unstable and increasingly risky digital asset markets. And so she keeps writing this moan letter, um, which I don't think anybody's actually going to pay, uh, pay any attention to. So anyway... That is uh, today's obligatory FTX update. Have we done that? Have we, we, we've obliged. We've obliged. All good. Okay, good. Great. Can I bring in Alessio? Can we talk about the biggest crash in market history? Okay, then let's talk about it. Alessio, how are you, my friend? Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thanks for your thanks for your invitation. Good to be here. Thanks a lot. Listen, we've been trying to get you on the show for a long time. You know that. We've been trying to get you yeah. on the show for a long time. Um, I'm an avid follower of your channel, by the way. Is James, is Alessio's channel in the description? Okay, so if you want to follow Alessio, go in the description, smash, follow his channel. Great channel. It's um, one of the only charters that I go to for information. Oh, that's very kind. Alessio. That's very, that's very kind of you to say. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate it. Thank you. Absolute pleasure, my friend. Let's talk about where you see the markets and where you see the crypto markets. Uh, today and feel free to share your screen. There's a little share screen button at the bottom. I don't know if you can see it. Uh, share screen? Yeah, I will do that uh, certainly. Um, okay, so yeah. let me just talk. Let me just talk about it, um, and then we'll go onto the chart. Uh, so your question was in regards to stock markets, was it? Well, stock markets and crypto. So like, uh -huh. you know, we've had. If if I zoom out now and I look at where we are in the markets, um, yeah. you know, I look at Bitcoin. Bitcoin is 85% down from its all-time mm -hmm. heights. Uh, just above 16,000. Uh, you have the NASDAQ, which has had a big correction um, back at 11,500 on the December futures. Yeah. Kind of wondering where you see us going from here. Okay, so I'll come to Bitcoin later. Uh, first, I want to discuss the stock market. And um, as I'm sure you know, as I'm sure anybody who watches this, um, because of the correlation we often see between stock markets and Bitcoin, I like to focus firstly on the stock market because should the stock market do something uh, good or bad, and we'll see positive or negative, it could have an impact on Bitcoin. Although recently there seems to be a shift in the correlation. Bitcoin seems to be underperforming the S&P, uh, obviously because of the matter you just raised a few minutes ago yourself um, with regards to FTX and everything else. There's a lot of uncertainty and fear right now in the crypto world, um, which, by the way, can be, a, if you're a contrarian, um, that, can, that can be a, a different point of view. Uh, anyway, let me go on to the stock market first of all. I actually published a video today on my channel, which is worth talking about today with you and with, with your with your viewers. And maybe if I can just uh, put it on yeah, here. Share yeah, sure. So share screen. I always feel I always feel uncomfortable when chartists don't show charts because it's like. <laughs> By the way, is it the I'm not, first time I'm using this? Is it the called third, present? Present? Yeah, present. There we go. Just present. the present okay. button. Share screen. Okay. Okay. Here we go. There we go. And then I'm going to go to. Can everyone see this? Uh, just click it and then just actually share oh. it. Click it and share it. Right. Okay. Bear with me. No problem. Take your time. Window. Ah, oh, here we go. Oh. This is the one. Share. Okay. Let me know if everyone can see this. Okay. So I'm going to share it for you. There we go. So this is the chart. Yeah. 
Can you see where it says overlapping, no overlaps on the right-hand side? Yeah, we can see it. Everything's yep. good. We can see okay, the, good. the narrative. Yeah, we see that. I'm going to start with this because it has a bearing on what I want to talk about today. Um, just want to get some basics out of the way first. For a lot of people who don't uh, know what I'm referring to here on this chart, this is essentially basic Elliott wave theory. For a lot of people who don't know what Elliott wave theory is, I don't want to go into that because it's going to take us for a long time. But essentially, Elliott wave theory tells us the markets. In fact, probably better if I show you this. Yes, here we go. Elliott wave theory tells we, us that the markets. We still see the same chart. We still see the same chart. We still see the same uh, screen. Uh huh. What about now? Uh, still, I think you need to just maybe unshare. Let me let me try and unshare it and then try share oh, the really? one. I oh, think okay. so. That, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what the other side of this looks like, but let's see. Okay, so you can still see the one on the left hand side. This has no yeah. overlaps. Yeah, we can see overlapping and no overlapping. All right, let's just stick with this because otherwise, um, the might get some technical issues here. Okay, I'm going to keep it simple. Basically, if you see, if you look at the right hand side. A five-wave structure, a five-wave technical pattern is what's called an impulsive pattern. And Elliott wave theory tells us when you see a pattern like that, five-wave pattern, that tells you that the market is now deliberately moving in a direction. And the odds of a trend increase. Again, it's all about probabilities. We're not, we're not talking about certainties here. But the odds and the probabilities of a trend in a specific direction increase when you see a five-wave move. Very important also the five waves must not overlap one another. When I say overlap, I mean, uh, if you look at the waves four and two, if you look, look at those downward moving waves, notice they don't overlap. They don't move in the same territory as one another. They are separate and distinct in their um, space and time, okay? Now, if we go in the left-hand side, we see two different structures, but they're basically both called corrective structures. Corrective structures essentially have two characteristics. One is they usually overlap. Look at the first one in red. Lots of, you see, by the way, this is exactly what Bitcoin looked like. If you see, if you see the rally in Bitcoin in August from June, from the June crash to the August, September highs, uh, I think it was August highs, you'll see a very much a rally that looks like that. Very corrective, very overlapping. And at the, at the time I was, I was, I was in my videos, I was saying this is a warning and not everything is right with this rally. If you see lots of lots of overlapping waves, when I say overlap, so I, mean, the, I don't know if you can see it. That's so you're talking about the rally that we had in uh, June, yeah. July, August. Exactly. exactly. So it looks exactly like your chart. So you got, you got exactly the, you got that, yes. and that That's, is that is uh, equal to to that to to the, um, your your red line over here. Absolutely, you're absolutely correct. And that's the red one. The red structure is overlapping. Some the reason I mentioned is the red one. Because some people look at that and say, oh, it's an uptrend. you got higher highs, higher lows, probably five waves. But the fact is, that's a mistake. If, if you see something that looks like an uptrend, but, the, but the, move, the waves are really overlapping one another, they're all going in the same ter territory as one another, it probably is not a good sign. It's not a strong, it's not a sign of strength. It's a sign of weakness in the corrective structure, which means what? Which means it's more likely to fail. If you look at the orange structure, the one underneath, the three-wave structure, that's also corrective. That's also a sign of weakness. And by the way, if you look at the chart of Bitcoin on a higher time frame, on a weekly chart, if you look at the structure in the summer of this year and the spring of this year on Bitcoin on a higher time frame, you will see a three-wave move. Again, I'm, I'm sorry, exactly. I don't have the chart with me right now. But... Yeah, exactly. So let me let me, make sure, let me actually get that chart. It's exactly what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, you can show it. You can yeah, show uh, it after this session. One, two, three. Yeah. 
you have a three wave move over here, which started, which started around about uh, June or May, June, and it went absolutely like that and ended on the 15th of November at all time high. Yeah. One final thing I want to, one thing I want to say about this, this chart, this particular slide before I move to the next one is um, for people, pe people who are watching the C wave of a three wave move. If you look at an ABC structure, the one in orange, the C wave is usually 100% in degree to the A wave. In other words, the C wave usually is symmetrical in its movement to the A wave. And if it's not symmetrical, it's usually about 138.2. People who are not familiar perhaps with Fibonacci, 138.2 is a Fibonacci number, 38.2. 138.2 is a Fibonacci ratios, okay? So that's the other thing I wanna mention here. The next thing, this is really important. Uh, now, maybe you cannot see this, but can you tell me if you see the pivots, the, this, this S&P 500 chart, um, this maybe yellow. Just, is it in, is it in, are, you, are you on PowerPoint or where, where, where do you wanna I'm on PowerPoint, I'm on PowerPoint, yeah. So just shift to the next slide, just click on your next slide, which is slide okay, two. Click on my next slide. Okay, let me see if I can do that. There we go, there we go, now we can see it. Okay, brilliant. See, yeah. Okay. So I can see in this yellow um, chart, this is, I'll put out a video on this, but I wanna explain it here. So why, 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 am I, why am I even mentioning this? Because a lot of people are expecting a Fed pivot sometime soon, sometime maybe by the end of this year or next year. What's a Fed pivot? Um, well, as I'm sure anyone who's been paying attention to the news or watching your channel as well, they know that the Federal Reserve has been hiking rates. They've been raising interest rates to beat inflation. And their plan is they're not going to, they're not going to reverse direction until they see signs of inflation coming down. Now, at some point in the next several months, maybe sooner, I don't know, but it could be 2023. At some point, the Federal Reserve plans to reverse this. So the Federal Reserve, they plan to change their strategy of raising interest rates, yeah, which so, of course, yeah. So, I mean, we've seen inflation starting to come down. We've yes, had three right. months of, of down inflation. We also kind of, if, if inflation carries on like it's going on and there's no other bombshells, we kind of know that by March, April next year, inflation is going to be a thing of the past. And the reason why that is is because the baseline is the high baseline from last year. Spend yeah. has been going down. And so we think that inflation will start going down and the Fed at some point left to pivot. We well also done. think that the Fed will increase by only 50 basis points as opposed to 75 basis points uh, in December when they meet. That's kind yeah. of where we, what we're thinking. Yes, probably. You you're, could, could be right. But at some point next year, I think it's fair to say it's quite likely the Federal Reserve will either cap rates, they'll just keep it constant, they won't raise interest rates, keep it constant, or actually they may start to decrease rates, they may cut rates. And essentially that's what we call the Fed pivot, for people who may not be familiar with this term, the Fed pivot. So what does this mean? If you look back at history, look at this chart. This shows what usually happens after a Fed pivot. Most people, by the way, are not familiar with this. They've just heard dogma and mostly a bunch of stuff they've heard from other analysts, economists, but they haven't seen the data for themselves. And I want to share with you this data because it's really important. By the way, this, um, this is courtesy of Elliott Wave International, uh, this chart. So what is, um, what is me the meaning behind this chart is this. Two things, two things to bear in mind. Before the Federal Reserve pivots and they start cutting rates, there is usually a market rally, okay? There's usually a boost, a rise in stock market prices. If you look back, for example, at the examples in 2007, in the year 2000, before the Federal Reserve pivoted and it started cutting rates, the market actually rallied just before that event. It went up in expectation of the Fed pivot. 
That's the first thing. The same happened in 1973. In 1973, 1981, 1969, the markets rallied. Um, by the way, when I say rally, I don't necessarily mean a rally to all-time highs. It could be a bear market yeah. rally. Okay. So, uh, so can I just, if I think about yeah. it logically, the reason why this probably happens is because usually the Fed is comfortable to increase interest rates when the economy is good, right? Is that is that the thinking behind it? So the Fed says, hold on, economy is good, jobs are good, uh, we feel comfortable to raise interest rates during rallies. Is is that, am I right in the thinking? Uh, partly, yes. That's uh, that's a good point. But there's another reason behind it too, which is that if the if market participants, if traders believe Here's here's the basic thing. Stock markets usually like lower interest rate prices. They, they like lower interest rates, not rising interest rates. In other words, it's more favorable. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a much better environment for stock markets when rates are going down instead of going up. Okay. Yes. So if the if if investors and traders believe that the Federal Reserve is planning at some point to to, to lower interest rates, cut cut interest rates then markets will probably rise before that even happens. Because as I'm sure you know, markets are forward-looking, okay? Mm -hmm. um, because as, as I'm sure everybody's listening to this knows that traders and investors place their bets many months in advance of something happening. I'm sure everyone's heard this phrase, buy on the rumor, sell on the news. That's what usually happens. That yep. means if the Federal Reserve is giving signals or some kind of, some kind of indication it might pivot next year and cut interest rates, the market will probably go up in expectation of that rally in expectation. That's exactly yeah. what's happened every single time in the past. 2019, 2000, which sorry, sorry. Uh, my, my YouTube's going crazy. Sorry. Yeah. Carry on. yeah, that's what happened in the past year, 2000, 2007, 1973, 1981, 1969. The market usually rallied before, just before that Fed pivot. And I want to just stress this. It doesn't have to be a rally to all time highs. It could also be a bear market rally, like the one we're in right now. We're in a bear market, okay? So it could just be a bear market rally of about, I don't know how long, how much it could go, but we could be setting up for a retracement of the previous decline. The markets went down this year, 25% from their highs, the highs made in January, or 25. In other words, peak to trough, we're down 25% on the S&P. So we might retrace some of that decline and drop, if that makes any sense, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm talking about. Now, the second thing from this chart is this is the most crucial part of this chart, which is after the Fed pivot occurs, the biggest drop of the bear market then begins. So this is what everybody else doesn't seem to understand or realize. Most economists and analysts, they think when the Fed pivot occurs, when next year, 2023, the Federal Reserve says, guess what, guys? We're going to now cap rates. We're going to start cutting rates. Most analysts and economists, they think that, oh, okay, when that happens, when the Fed pivots next year, that'll be good news for the markets, and then we're going to go up significantly higher to all-time highs. That's wrong. In my view, that's mistaken. I think it's backwards. The market will probably rally in expectation of the pivot, and when the pivot occurs, when the Federal Reserve pivots next year in 2023, then the market will reach another top. It could be a top of all-time highs, or it could be a bear market rally top. In other words, the market, the stock market could make a bear market rally, make another top, a secondary top, and then drop again. Okay. Wow. And by the way, okay. the next drop, if you look at this chart, look at the year 2000, look at the year 2007, uh, 1981, 1973. 1973, by the way, I'd say is the closest to what we're in right now. Uh, 73, 1969, uh, the 2019, 2020. After the Federal Reserve pivots, what happens? The biggest portion 
of the bear market drop occurs right after that, soon after it. It could be, a, it could be a several weeks. It could be a few weeks or a few months. But then the biggest decline of the bear market begins after the Fed pivot. And that's when I want to be very cautious. While everybody else is, by the way, when the Fed pivot occurs next year, just, just think about the psychology. The psychology is backwards too. When the Federal Reserve pivots next year, it's possible the market may have rallied. As I said, we could be significantly higher than where we're at, we're at right now. Okay, as we're making this video, the stock market is about three thousand nine hundred, I think. Yeah, so, the S and P is yeah, yeah three thousand nine hundred. Now, as long as the S and P stays above three thousand seven hundred, which is my key support, let's say the market rallies back to over four thousand. Okay, let's say we go up over four thousand. Let's say we even go back to four thousand two hundred, or even four thousand three hundred eleven, which is a sixty-one point percent retracement. Now, let's say the market retraces and goes up next year, in other words, in the next several months, until the Federal Reserve pivots next year. By that time, everyone will think, oh, we're now in a bull market. Everything's okay now. The, the Federal Reserve has pivoted. They're not cutting rates. The market is back up several hundred points. Everything's okay now. But actually, this chart shows that is the time when you want to be extremely cautious, extremely um, be aware, because that could be the turning point for the next major downturn in the market. Now, of course- okay, so but let me just sure. say this. Uh, sorry about mm -hmm. this. I could be wrong about this. Again, we're basing this on probabilities. But I think based on what I'm seeing here and on historical statistics and evidence, I think this is the most likely um, uh, scenario. Sorry, go ahead. So we don't have a lot of time. But what you're sure. saying is that we're probably going to have a little bit of a rally. When we get a little bit of a rally, at some point, the Fed pivots. The Fed pivots, we're going to get into a massive correction. He's talking about a 50%, could, could be up to 50% correction if we were to mimic the 1970s. Absolutely, yeah. How would um, you trade? How would yeah, you absolutely. trade? That, that depends on each trader. I don't, I don't, I don't want to, at this point, go into that because that, that could take several, <laughs> several, hour, several hours to explain. Uh, but my point is that in terms, of, in terms of pure charts analysis and in terms of our expectations, this is what I want to point out. And I know you're limited for time, so let me just uh, say a couple more things. Some people object to what I've just said, and they say, well, first of all, we're in a bear market. The market's already down 25%. So how can the market go up and rally? As I said, as I explained just a few minutes ago, even in a bear market, you can have massive rallies. If you look back in August, in August, the stock market went up 20%. Despite the market in August of this year went up 20% from July to August, despite the Federal Reserve raising rates and despite we're in a, the, fact we're, the fact that we're in a bear market. So just remember that that's very important to bear in mind. Now, all I want to say one more thing is this, which is Bitcoin, because I know you want to talk about Bitcoin. Here's something that's, I want to mention. Yeah. This, we could finish with this. We could finish with this. If you look back at what I've done here is a compiled for you data. By the way, can you see this? Can you see this yes. chart? Yeah. We can see the, 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 Fed, the Fed pivot rate. Is that the one that you want? Or oh, no, no, I'm sorry. No, this is the next one I want to talk about. Yeah. The, Fed, the Bitcoin seasonality. What about this now? Yeah, we can, can see, see it. This? Yeah, we amazing. So you can see Bitcoin seasonality on this chart? Yes, yes, yes. We yeah. can see. But here's the, the last thing I want to say. I compiled this data going back to 2011, as far back as the charts can go on Bitcoin. And I saw, and I basically put together the performance, the median, uh, so beg your pardon, the, the actual performance of Bitcoin from October 31st to the new year, 31st December. That's, on the, that's the first, uh, that's the middle column. You can see the middle column says October 31st yeah. to 31st December, okay? For each year, I put the performance in, those are percentages, by the way. Those numbers are percentages. Okay. The, black, the green boxes are positive. The red boxes are negative. Okay, so the green or the black numbers are positive. Performance, 
the, the minus negative ones obviously are negative, uh, as we can see. And by the way, the, the last column on the right is the performance of Bitcoin from December 31st to the first of spring, the first day of spring, which is 20th of March. Okay, that's the last column. Now, I wonder if anyone can see a pattern on this, but the pattern is very obvious. Notice when Bitcoin does well between October 31st to the new year, the first column, the middle column there. It does well in Q1 as well. Well done. Absolutely. It does well in Q1 of the next year between um, January 1st to the 1st of spring. But when it does badly in the October to December period to the end of the new year, guess what? It does badly also from 1st of January to the 1st of spring. You can see this pattern has been going on now for the last 11 years. Now, maybe the pattern will change this time around. I don't know. But I personally think if, if, if we're basing our decisions based on statistics and, again, historical evidence, if this pattern continues, if this trending pattern continues, it means this. If the stock market, not big a pardon, if, if Bitcoin continues to remain below its October 31st closing price, which is 20,500, 20,490 20, to be more precise, as long as Bitcoin stays below 20,500 uh, by the end of this year, that means we may have a negative year this year. Yes. In other words, as long as Bitcoin continues to remain below its October 31st close, which again was about uh, 20,490 approximately, then it means we have a, probably a negative finish to this year. And if, I say if we finish this year negatively, then it means next year from January to spring, we may also have a negative red period as well. But, but right. the, op the, opposite the opposite applies too. If we have a positive year this year between now and the end of the, end of the year, we may also see positive positivity between January and uh, spring as well. Kyle, you and Alessio should be friends, bro, because you both seeing the markets down. You, we have an in-house chartist. He's also calling exactly. He's calling the same as you, the markets down. Oh, really? Listen, guys, uh, Alessio, we are out of time, but um, sure. the, your, there is a link to Alessio's channel below. Alessio is amazing. He's amazing. I, we couldn't dig into all his wisdom now. But go and do it in your own time because this is one of the, the, the big guys that I actually follow. So, Alicia, That's thanks for coming kind. on. My friend. That's very kind. Thank you very much. Cheers. All right. Guys, you, you need to go and see Alicia's channel because if you do, you'll realize that um, he's one of the best chartists out there. Carl wants to be like Alicia when, when Carl grows up, when he's older, when he's older. All right, let's go. Let's go to the next big story because, I mean, that's why you actually all tuned in. You all tuned in. You tuned in because you wanted to know what's happening with DCG. Now, the good news is that tomorrow I have an insider coming on, someone inside the system coming on. Don't miss tomorrow's show. It's going to be huge. I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen. Let's quickly look at where we are when it comes to DCG. So remember we said that Genesis. What did you buy us to drink, Carl? We said Genesis Capital yesterday was looking to raise a billion dollars. And remember the reason why they needed to raise a billion dollars because Genesis had a pretty bad year. I mean, they first got caught with Terra Luna. Then they got caught with Three Arrows Capital, where they had a $2.1, $2.4 billion worth of exposure. Now, what happened to that exposure, I've managed to actually track the tweet for you guys. So to make it a little bit more factual, this is Michael Morrow. Michael Morrow was the CEO of Genesis Trading. He said, look, we previously said in June that we mitigated our losses with respect to the large counterparty who failed to meet the margin call. Now that BVI bankruptcy process has commenced, we can confirm the counterparty was actually Three Arrows Capital. Now, the loans to counterparty had an weighted average margin requirement of over 80%. Once they were unable to meet the margin call, we immediately sold collateral and hedged our downside, but they lost a billion dollars in the process. 
Since then, we worked with DCG to find the optimal strategy to isolate the risk. And the way we isolated the risk was DCG has assumed certain liabilities, which is the claim against the Arrows Capital um, related to this counterparty to ensure we have capital to operate the business. So you've got Genesis Trading, which is this big OTC house, et cetera. They go and um, uh, lose a billion dollars or so, or you know, just over a billion dollars on Three Arrows Capital. What do we do after? What do they do after that? They hand over the claim against Three Arrows Capital to DCG. Now Genesis take another knock, which is the FTX knock, and they've halted withdrawals. And remember, I said to you yesterday that what they're doing now is they're going out and they're trying to raise as much capital as they can. They went out to try and raise a billion dollars. That didn't work. So they've now cut the raise to $500 million. Hopefully they can make it work with $500 million. The problem is that what we're hearing is that right now there's not much interest for Genesis. And the reports yesterday said that if they don't raise the $500 million pretty quickly, that they could go into liquidation. And the word that the, the reports used was imminent. They then came out today and they said, look, or yesterday, and they said, look, um, so here is the, the original report. It says... Uh, Genesis says they have no plans to file for bankruptcy imminently because, because uh, they said it's not, we're not imminently filing bankruptcy. So now what's happening? You've got Barry Silbert going out there trying to raise capital. Um, so far, unsuccessful. Remember that he does have a couple of options. The first option is to raise capital in Genesis. The second option is to raise money in DCG, the holding company of Genesis. And the third option is they own Grayscale. And Grayscale is the company that owns the GBTC Trust. And we told you guys yesterday that the GBTC Trust was trading at a huge value to net asset value and that they owned 28 million shares, which is about the equivalent, right now it's about $8 a share. So uh, it, it's about the equivalent of $200 million, $250 million worth of GBTC. But what you can see as of yesterday is that they have now doubled two and a half times their number of trusts. So DCG own about 600 or $500 million worth of GBTC, which makes this whole thing very juicy because option number one, what they can do is they can try and redeem the trust. They have to change it using what they call a reg M in the United States. And they need to, they can change it to start redeeming the trust. If they do that, there'll be a whole lot of Bitcoin which are sold onto the market. So option one, raise capital into DCG. Option two, raise capital into Genesis. Option three, sell off some of the assets of, of, uh, of DCG. And remember I showed you yesterday a whole lot of assets that they could sell. Option four, which becomes super interesting, which is what I think is actually going to land up happening in a very crazy way. And there's a blessing to this. And option four for me is that they can't raise the money. The one asset that they really have that can raise money is Grayscale. Because Grayscale, remember, Grayscale makes a 2% management fee on the crypto that it manages. And it manages about, I don't know, a couple of hundred million, maybe even billions. What do they manage? They manage, uh, it's billions. They make about $300 million a year in management fees on the 2%. So it's $6 billion. They, they, they make about 2%. So that's a business that makes about $300 million a year. They could sell just the grayscale business because that business makes a lot of money. They'll probably get a low multiple because very soon an ETF is going to be approved someday. And when that ETF is approved, then the value of, of the grayscale business is going to become slightly smaller. But you could say that they could easily get 500 million, maybe even a billion for the grayscale business alone if they were to sell it. And remember, that's just one 
of many businesses that they own. Let me show you some of the other businesses that they own. Uh, DCG. Uh, let me just quickly go to the portfolio page to show you. Remember, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, they own a lot of things. They own, they own shares in all of these companies. And we're only talking about Genesis, which is the company that got them into trouble. Yeah. And Grayscale, which ironically is just under them in the investments. Quite weird. All right. So, but they still hold all of these cash, these, all these things. So they could sell some of these things. If they don't, I agree with Will Clemente that what they could do is actually sell it to a traditional finance firm. Now, that for me is the best case scenario. Okay, Bitcoin is pumping. That's the short squeeze, people. That is a short squeeze. Where is the Bitcoin pump? Where, this is not a pump. Are you, are you guys watching the three-minute chart again? You, I mean, are you, are you, this is the short squeeze I was talking about earlier on my Twitter. You should have, you should have, you should have listened. Um, Bitcoin will be pump, pump. Um, Hold on a second. Are you trading the five-minute chart, James? It's supposed to be supposed to be driving the show. Anyway, so this is the irony. Everyone says I shine. James, we've got to fix the light. Yeah, I'm the shine. Okay, so if DCG is unable to raise capital and sells Grayscale to a trade fi firm like Fidelity, it would be a positive for crypto. Why? Because A, a trade fi company is probably the only company that can now bail us out. B, what happens then is there's probably a bigger chance that we get this approved. Like, for example, if Fidelity go to the SEC and say, listen, we're Fidelity, you know us, we've been doing this all our lives, or BlackRock, we've been doing this all our lives. We want to convert the Grayscale Trust, which we now, by the way, own, and we want to make that into, um, into an, uh, an ETF. There's probably a bigger chance of that happening. And so I think what may actually happen here, now, obviously I have no news, this is all speculation, but I think who may actually save us is TradFi. I think Wall Street's going to save us. And if they do, that could be the best thing that happened. Because what would happen if that happened is, A, we've now got TradFi coming all into Bitcoin, buying the biggest trash, trying to convert it into an ETF. B, that creates a massive, massive, massive short squeeze because there's a lot of people that are short. We know that right now. There's a lot of people that are short, specifically on a whole lot of tokens. Solana, uh, there was a whole big short position on tokens. Um, and so I think that... This would be the most ironic outcome, but I think it's also a very probable outcome. And I think you've got to keep your eyes on it. I think there is a good chance that Wall Street's bailing us out here, guys. Um, let's keep our eyes on it. Let's keep our eyes on it. This Barry Silbert capital raise is, is probably one of the most uh, important capital raises in crypto. And again, as I said on my Twitter, and if, again, if you're, not watching me on, if you're not watching my Twitter, you're not getting the alpha. But it says here, if, I said, if anyone can pull off the $1 billion raise in this market, it's Barry Silbert. He is a master. I imagine he'll raise enough to save a day, maybe at bad terms. The result, there will be a massive short squeeze. If I'm wrong, I'm going to delete a tweet. I'm going to eat humble pie. That's just the way it is. Listen, I, I can't go dark mode on Twitter because if I go dark mode on Twitter, people complain they can't read it on their phones. So can't do it. Cannot, can't do it. People asking here, Ran, are you friendly with SPF? So I was friendly with SPF. He sponsored my CNBC show at the time, but then he was he went up too high, too fast, too soon, too young, and he became arrogant. And we lost touch. We had an argument. I wanted a good referral link with FTX. They gave me the big fuck you. Today, who's having the last laugh? I'm having the last laugh. I must tell you one thing. There is a thing called the banter curse. Okay, there's a thing called the banter curse. No jokes, no jokes, no jokes. 
I've been in this industry a hell of a long time. I made a lot of friends in this industry. There are some people that made a lot of money very quickly and decided that, you know, they were better than banter. They didn't want to come onto banter anymore. They didn't want to support their friend run. There were a lot of people that did that. Remember Do Kwan, where he said to me, read the room? Remember that? Remember that, that thing? He said to me, read the room, bro. Remember that, that day we asked him to come on the show? He said, read the room. Yeah. What happened to Do Kwan? Destroyed. Another one, SBF, didn't want to come on the show. Started to ghost us. What happened? Destroyed. Travis Kling. Remember Travis? Travis, I begged the guy to come on my show. We were mates. We used to speak to each other. Begged the guy to come on my show. Ghost. Ghosting me. The banter curse. Destroyed. There are a whole lot of others. I mean, I could carry on. Novogratz used to come on my show all the time. The other day, I tried to get him on my show. What did he say to you? Ah, I'm overexposed. What happened to him? The banter curse. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. CZ has come on my show. He's the same humble person. He helped me. I helped him. He's the same humble person that he was. Flying. Came on banter. Flying. Hasib, flying. Avishal, flying. I can tell you who's going to go down next. I can tell you. You want to hear? I don't want to say it because then people will say, people will say. But I'm telling you, they're, they're one or two. I have a list of people that became arrogant, too arrogant too quickly. They made too much money. They got too much fame too quickly. And as a result, they started to look down on being on YouTube and supporting their friend run. And you know what happened? You know what happened to those people? They get destroyed. The market destroys them. Got to be careful. If we phone you and say you need to come on banter, if we phone you and tell you you need to come on to banter, best you take our call because you don't want to be hit by the banter. You don't want to be hit by the banter curse. It's bad. Don't be like, oh, remember another one? Suzu. Let me find you this message with Suzu. Let me find you the message where he said, let me find you. Let me find you the message with Suzu. Hold on a second. Zusu, Suzu, another one, another one who, who was humbled. If we phone you and we say, please come on banter, how do you spell Zusu? I'm always confused. Z-H-U, so Z-H, I'm actually going to show you the messages. I don't give a shit. Oh man, how do I get, I don't know how to get to these messages. Anyway. Anyway, Suzu and Kyle Davies, we asked them to come on the show. They didn't come on the show. You know what happened to them? You know, you know. Gary Gensler also didn't want to come on the show. I reached out to him, didn't want to come on the show. I hear that he, by the end of January, Gary Gensler is going to be history. I hear this. I hear this from a good source, someone who's working on taking him down. The moral of the story here is one thing. If we phone you and say, please come on to banter, you must accept the invitation because if you don't, you will get hit by the curse that has hit so many others, okay? Mike Novogratz, hit by the curse. Suzu, hit by the curse. Carl Davies, hit by the curse. Um, who else? Who else got hit? Do Kwan told me to read the room. I read the room. He's reading the newspaper. Um, who else was it? Who else was it? There was another one. Who was supposed to come on? All these people that was that believed that they were the good Sam Bankman Fried. Sam Bankman Fried. Uh, bro, please come on the show. Yeah, let me show you. I'll show you. Show you this. I'll show you. Gotta show you this because I'm so happy. But then you know, I got my revenge. I'll show you my revenge. You'll, you'll laugh your head off. Okay. So there's a group here called FTX 
That's called FT. Just want to see that I'm not just uh, revealing numbers. Yeah, I'm not revealing numbers. Okay. So you see, you have Fred. Okay, I can't show you this because I can't show you this because I'm going to. Okay, hold on a second. See, I'm going to hide Fred's name here. Okay, can you see? Oh, you can't see here. You can't. Okay, so I'm going to read. There's a whole lot of messages here that say, please, we want to get Sam on the show to the point, to the point. Where Fred says, hi, hi, Natalie, we've pinged you a couple of times to lock in a date. Please could you assist us? Crickets. I was so angry. I sent a message to Sam, a DM to Sam. I sent him a DM. I'm like, Sam, what's going on with you? What happens? Destroyed. Destroyed. Doquan. Doquan. Let's read the Doquan messages. The day he told me to read the room, and I realized that my friend Doquan became too arrogant. Hold on a second. Um, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on. I've got to find this for you guys. What did he say? He said, read the room. Ah, I've got so many messages with him. Okay. Uh, uh, okay. I can't show you the messages. Here we go. I can't show you messages. Not going to show. Long story short, I asked him to come on the thing. He says, bro, read the room. I'm too busy. I've got too much opportunity. How much opportunity have you got now? The moral of the story is very simple. When we phone you at Banter and we tell you that we want you on our show, you must come on the show. Don't be arrogant. Don't say, oh, I'm too good to be on Banter. Oh, I'm too, oh, I'm too good to be on a YouTube show. I only do CNBC. Because Novogratz, when I asked him to come on to Banter, the guy used to be on my CNBC show all the time. I asked Novogratz to come on to Banter. He said no. I saw him at a conference. This is my mate. I, I used to speak to him. I saw him at a conference. I go to the conference. I'm saying, like, Mike, listen, we're making the video for Token 2049. Can we interview? We've interviewed all the other speakers. Okay? What does he say? He says, no. I've got overexposure. Bro, the only overexposure you had is to Luna. And the only other overexposure you had is to FTX. That's the overexposure. Anyway, if we phone you and we say, please come on banter. Read the room and come on banter. I'll see you guys again tomorrow. Until then, have fun, trade well, stay safe. That rant wasn't planned. <laughs> I, I actually was venting because, you know, I feel like, I'm like, guys, I bet, you know who's going next? Pump. You know why? Because Pump got too big, too quickly, too arrogant. I invite him on to banter, ghost me. You.